This is the Lost Start of Communication, hosted by Molly and Trisha. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Lost Start of Communication podcast. We're very excited to have with us today Garrett Blair, who is a live virtual communications trainer, as well as a public speaking performance coach. We're really excited to sit with him today and talk about what he's got going on, especially because behind him on our Zoom screen, I see a plaque that says, you've totally got this, and it makes me feel very inspired and excited for this conversation. So welcome, Garrett. Well, thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me on. This is exciting. Yeah. So why don't we start with you giving us a little background on yourself? What is a live virtual communications trainer. What does that really mean? Sure. Well, you know, it started out as Zoom training, right? I was a Zoom trainer. I'm the Zooming guy. But then I realized there are more platforms than Zoom. So let's come up with a phrase that's a little more generic, but also maybe a little interesting. Uh, so live virtual communication um, is, is the phrase that I use to describe what I do. Um, this all started actually a couple of years ago. Uh, I was walking on this beautiful bluff in Santa Barbara, California, looking out over the ocean in this beautiful seaside park. There are dolphins splashing and I actually saw a whale breaching, believe it or not, on this walk. I couldn't believe it. And I was walking with someone who asked to have a walking meeting, which is, I guess, something you do in Santa Barbara, California. Um, she had met me through some workshops I had done at an improv class and she approached me and said, would you be interested in offering performance coaching to my public speaking mastermind group? Now, I have 20 years of experience in theater art and direction, acting, performing, producing, and I'm also a 20-year educator, arts educator, and curriculum designer. So she asked me to approach public speaking, and I went, uh, well, hold on a second. These aren't actors. These aren't people working on a play. There's no script, per se. They're not living moments. I don't know how to work with public speakers. So I said, yes, of course, let's do it. Um, and so, you know, I got a chance to work with her public speaking group and it was very different, uh, very different coaching public speakers than actors, but I loved it. I fell in love with it almost immediately. And so I used that education experience to translate theater concepts and techniques I used as an actor and a director into methodologies and techniques that are applicable to any public speaker of any experience level. Um, and so for a couple of years, this was sort of a side hustle. I was coaching at TEDx events and doing a couple private clients and starting to work a little corporate magic. And then I thought, you know what, I'm going to scale this up. I'm going to launch this business. And I was ready. My date was April 1st, 2020. Here comes the public speaking business. And March 13th, California shuts down. And uh, it's really hard to have a public speaking business when there's no public in which to speak. So I turned my attention to where everybody was speaking, which is this sort of virtual platform. Uh, and, you know, I've done a couple of virtual communications, some coaching, you know, a little bit here and there. And I always found that uh, there was something a little off for me that there were, I was distracted, that, that I had insecurities that would sort of flare up during virtual conversations and I couldn't quite put my finger on it uh, and decided, you know what, let's figure out what's going on here and start to figure out how can we be better communicators through the device. That is so important because, and so interesting to think about, like 
I don't know, as I sit here talking to you right now, I am currently in my place of work. So like, I am distracted by, oh gosh, what do I have to do today? Like, and I have to zoom in, zoom to the zoom (laughs) screen and really focus on this interview. And, and I think we've talked about this in previous episodes too, like how even conversations are public speaking. You are speaking to an audience, right? Yeah. Of your conversation partner. But um, tell me more about that pivot. How did you, like, did you just kind of wing it and say, okay, this is kind of what I think is good for virtual? Like, how did you develop those ideas that you now created a business out of? Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, you mentioned that even as even in conversation, we're, we're publicly speaking. And I actually have developed what I call the the public speaking spectrum. Right. So a lot of people think of public speaking as you just get up and you give a keynote. Right. I got this speech I'm delivering to a lot of people. But no, like you said, right. On one end, there's sort of the in conversation. Right. There's the everyday chatting that you do. And in every situation that you're in, you put on some sort of mask. Right. We're different in work than we are with our friends, than we are with colleagues. You know, so in all of those situations, we're sort of performing a different way and all of those are sort of within the public speaking range all the way from in conversation to public speaking and so I was leading a workshop in April which had just become a virtual workshop in this idea right that in any situation you're sort of in this public speaking area Um, and I'm leading this virtual workshop the newly virtual workshop and uh, I asked everybody to turn off their videos to start an exercise I was trying out some new ideas and I reached over to get a glass of water to prep for this exercise. And when I turned back, everybody was gone. There was nobody on my screen. I had this full gallery of people in this class I was teaching. I was watching them. I was talking to them. And then I came back and they're all not there. What are there? These little black squares with names in them, right? There's no faces. And I had this sort of existential, surreal kind of experience. It's like, who, who, where did they go? Who are they? Who were they that suddenly they could disappear and I'm no longer talking to them? And like I said, it was like this out of body sort of existential crisis experience that I was going through. And as I'm sort of living in this moment, I realized, hold on a second, they can all see me. My camera's on and my video is working just fine and nothing has changed for them. They are all expecting this transformational experience. And I realized in that moment, what was going on? right? That suddenly, oh, I see what's happening here. That the experiences that I, w- I have been having, this, you know, the, the distraction, the insecurity swirling, that kind of thing, was all based in this idea that I'm still having this face-to-face conversation here through the device. And in that moment, I realized, no, there is a device here. And if I don't start thinking about how the device works in my conversation, then I'm not going to be able to be as effective as a communicator. So I use that as sort of the premise, thinking about the other person's experience on the other side of the camera and what things do I need to do on my side of the camera to enhance their experience. One of the bedrock principles I came up with out of this moment was was actually my third bedrock principle, which is communication is compassion in action. In order to be an effective communicator, I have to be thinking about the other person's experience. What do I want them to experience of our interaction? What do I want them to think of me? What do I want them to get? What do I want them to take away with, take away from our interaction? And so using that premise, I started to develop a skill set and a framework and a playbook for live virtual communication. 
I think that's great. One of the biggest challenges I've found and that I work with my clients on is navigating that scenario where you're just talking to a black screen with names on it. And it's really hard to make it personal. So other than logically reminding yourself, okay, there is a person on the other end of this screen. Do you have any tips or suggestions or things that you found helpful to really remind yourself that you're not talking to a box, you're talking to a person or in your case, a group of people. And then it is still a, you know, you're still communicating not with technology, but with an actual human being. Yeah. Well, and I think that that interplay that you mentioned is really interesting, sort of your brain logically trying to um, sort of correct what's going on, right? So I think, you know, there are two things that we have to remember. The first is, you know, and this is actually the first sort of principle of my training, which is this isn't a face-to-face interaction, right? You guys are not in the room with me. I'm not sitting there with you. Your faces are on my screen, but I'm talking at a screen and I'm talking to a camera. So I have to engage the device in order to affect you both sitting over there, right? I want you to have that more authentic face-to-face interaction so I have to make sure that I do what I what is necessary to give you that kind of experience. You know, and what I realized was that, that, for instance, one of the things we notice is like when you're talking to someone, you're having a conversation, it's a meeting. A lot of times you'll notice that the person will be looking down somewhere else, right? Your face on their screen is in the corner or maybe they've even moved it up toward the top near the camera. But still, there's this sort of declination in their eye angle, right? They're looking down somewhere else. And what our brains do is because our brains are sort of thinking that we're in this face-to-face interaction, they're ready to receive the face-to-face communication cues, You are both, you know, expert communicators. You know that we do so much more than use just the words that we speak to communicate. We've got micro expressions, body language, uh, you know, auditory sounds, all sorts of things that we do in gestures to communicate more information than just the words we speak. Well, through the camera, those cues get skewed. I mean, they get mixed up. So not only are we giving them off, but our brains are trying to receive those cues. So I see someone looking down somewhere on their screen and my brain goes, oh, they're not interested. Oh, they're distracted. They, they don't know what's going on. They're, they've lost interest in me. They're, they're, they're you know, um, doing something else. They don't get what I'm saying. But like you said, logically, your brain is going, no, no, they're just looking at you. They're paying attention. Keep reminding yourself that. And to me, that creates a lot of the fatigue, right? And so one of the things that I try to remind people of is, you know, I think we hear this a lot. Use the camera. Focus. Look into the camera. And look into the camera thinking that the person that is on your screen is actually there on the other side of that camera. Right? When I look into the camera, I'm looking at the two of you. And if I can remind myself that, then then there's the sense that, oh, I I am communicating through the camera. I can emote into the camera. And even though I'm not necessarily looking at your face on the screen, which can feel really unnatural to look into a camera instead of someone's face, if I remind myself, that's where you see me. That's our connection, right? Our actual connection is through this camera. Then I can start to communicate to you, even though it's through this device. I've, okay. I've tried this and I love this a lot because I, you know, I think I, you know, eye contact and all of that is really important when you're communicating in person. 
the thing that I miss, and I, I would love suggestions, is when I look at the camera, I feel like I miss the facial expressions of the people that I'm talking to. And I think like in a large group, it's not as, you can't look at everybody's faces all the time, but like in this situation, right? I'm trying really hard to look at the camera now. Uh, I can't like feed off of the reaction that you're having. I just looked back down and saw you were laughing and I was like, okay, he's getting my, he's getting my point here. How do you suggest you balance like, talking to the camera, but then also feeding off of the people's reactions that you're talking to. Um, And I'm assuming this is all part of that fatigue you talk about and we've all experienced. Yeah. Well, you know, I think there are a couple of things in there. I think first, you know, thinking about the fatigue, I think a lot of the fatigue comes from the fact that we are engaging with this as if it's a face-to-face interaction, right? As I mentioned. So we are working to engage that way, but it doesn't quite work. And so a lot of the fatigue comes from trying to make that situation work for us. And I think if we let go of that, right, if we let go of the sense that this is supposed to be, you know, or, or feel like or exist as an, an authentic face-to-face interaction, what we do is we sort of free ourselves from that paradigm. We free ourselves from that framework. So, for instance, if you're just having a conversation with someone, uh, you know, uh, one or two people in a meeting, you know, this kind of this kind of interview, um, you know, it's a small group kind of thing. Don't discount the power of your own peripheral vision. Right? as I'm looking into the camera, I can see you nod. I can see you smile. I can see you respond a little bit. Right. And then every now and then I can look down and check and see, OK, they're with me. I can see that they're watching me on the screen and I come back to the camera. So checking in a little bit is great. But like I said, don't discount, don't discount the power of your peripheral vision. Um, the other thing I talk about is, is the concept of narrating. Um, a lot of times we get stuck into situations where we are waiting while someone else on the other side is doing something on the computer, right? They say, oh, well, let me check that. And then a couple of minutes go by and there's this silence and nobody knows what's going on. And you're sitting there going, should I talk? Are they gonna talk? Is it time for us to speak? Do I remember what we're talking about? Does he remember what we're talking about? What is she looking at, right? So by narrating what we do, we continue the flow of conversation and we eliminate that silence. You know, oh, let me check that email. I'm gonna pull that up here. I'm gonna lift up my browser. I'm gonna type in that subject that you said it was. So I'm checking. Oh, here's the email here. Let me open it up. Oh, and I can see in the email, right? Narrate what you do. And we can take narration a step further. Narrate the space. You know, we first hopped on and we started talking, you know, just before we started the interview, I mentioned to you guys that I'm in this new space. It's very echoey. So I explained the teddy bears that are around me to suck up all the sounds so that I don't have as echoey a space, right? So we can narrate our space and then narrate those actions. Okay, so we're having this conversation. I've just made this good point to you guys. I'm really excited about it. I'm now going to look down at the screen and check all your faces. Do you guys want to give me a quick nod so that you know that I'm with me or a thumbs up or something like that? You know, if we break out of the sense of I should just be able to read everybody, which is harder to do through a virtual interface, and instead, you know, navigate through the space, narrate about it. Oh my God, you know, I finished this thought. Let me check in with you guys. I'm going to look down. You guys give me a thumbs up so I know you're with me. Excellent. Fantastic. Any questions? Okay, I'm going to go back into the subject, right? Using that narration feature and allowing us to step outside of that 
face-to-face paradigm is a great way to still be able to, you know, get those cues and read each other. We're just a little more direct about it. I think that's great. I really like the point about narrating and being really explicit because there is so much awkwardness in an online call where it's like, oh, we're talking over each other or we interrupt and then everyone's silent and then there's a lag. And it's, I even find just saying there is a lag. I am going to pause for a few seconds before responding really helps to reduce some of the awkwardness that inevitably ensues when we're virtual But I'm curious, when you're coaching, since Mm -hmm. you had intended for this to be a public speaking business and then suddenly there's an unplanned pandemic and you did an excellent job pivoting, it sounds like. So when you're coaching clients, are you working exclusively on these virtual skills or do you teach general public speaking as well, especially since now we're going to be transitioning more to in-person? So curious what that will look like for you. But as of now, do you do things that are general speaking tips or primarily video conferencing communication? Um, I mean, they go hand in hand. I think, you know, there are, there are, I have this metaphor. Let me put it this way. Um, When I first started working with actors and improvisers, you know, as a, as a teaching artist and, and doing adult work, I would get improvisers who would say, Oh, I don't act. You know, I can't memorize lines and I get actors who say, oh, I don't improvise because, you know, that's the lowly art form. I'm an actor. And that never made sense for me. In my acting training in New York City, um, where I lived for almost 20 years before moving out to the West Coast, um, in my conservatory training, improv was such an integral part of acting. And uh, one of the things, one of the metaphors I use is to think about uh, being on stage as driving a car. Right. If you're acting, you know the route that you're driving. You know how to get there. Right. You don't need GPS. If you're improvising, you're making turns based on what's happening in the moment. It's like a joyride. But in each situation, you're still driving the car. Right. Regardless of the form. The same thing is true in, in public speaking. Right. Is, is I'm up here on the stage. Yes, it's more of a conversation. I'm not acting but I'm driving a car. Actually, I tend to think of it as a tour bus, right? You're you're actually a guide on a tour bus. You're bringing people on this tour as a public speaker and you have to drive the bus. So there are certain rules and, and skills and techniques that all of us use across all disciplines, that sort of driver's ed book. Um, And then when we turn that into a virtual space, those rules still apply. You know, the skills may be different, but the nature of how I want to communicate, how do I affect engagement? Well, I've got to think about the stakes of my talk. What's at stake for the other person? And how does that drive my importance? How do I drive action? How do I drive engagement? And how do I make sure that they get what I'm saying? And how do I use that question, that do you get it concept to drive connection and influence and engagement? So there are times where I work with people specifically on building out their frame, what I call a virtual handshake, and working on how are you going to look on video while live virtually communicating. And then recently, you know, within the last couple of weeks, I've actually been training TEDx speakers for an event in Waltham, and they are getting up in front of a live group of people, but I'm here doing this virtually. So I watch them in their space through their webcam, and I'm offering more of that sort of in-person coaching experience. Um, So, you know, it goes hand in hand, but the thing to remember is that there are sort of standard concepts that work across the board. 
Uh, and, and as long as we're focused on that, we can affect great communication no matter what the medium is. But it is a new medium. And so there is a playbook and there's a rule. You know, I don't communicate the same way on stage as I do on the phone. So I've got to communicate differently through this device as well. That engagement piece is so tricky on Zoom. I have probably not been the best participant in some meetings I've been in <laughs> where it just feels like, oh, it's just Zoom. I will cook my lunch and turn my camera off or I will um, scroll through social media while they're talking. How do you suggest really like, do you have any tips to really increase that engagement for the listeners? If it is like a meeting, if you're the speaker. Uh, you mean as, as an, as a, as a speaker to engage the other person or as a yeah. listener listening, you know, so Sorry, that, as the speaker speaking to an audience, engaging the audience. Um, you know, virtually what tools are at our disposal, right? So you're in a zoom room, use the chat. Right. How do you keep people listening? Ask them to engage in the chat. I think we've, we might, we, all of us, I hope at this point have experienced some webinar, or some meeting where they go, okay, great. Now throw into the chat what you think about this or give me your favorite so-and-so. So, you know, using that um, uh, chat feature. The other thing I like to do, and this goes back to what you were saying about sort of checking in or being able to um, read people is I like to invent gestures for virtual meetings. And one of the things I do is this, you can't see, but I'm sort of doing this hang 10 sign with my thumb and my pinky out. I'm shaking my fist. Um, I got that actually from a sixth grade group uh, who they would, when they would share at the end of an activity as a whole group, they'd share things they'd like, they'd support each other. They'd come up with, you know, revelations they've had. And anybody in the group who sort of agreed with that or with whom that comment resonated would do this little hang 10 sign. And so inventing gestures in this virtual space, if I'm a speaker and I'm trying to maintain attention, then I'm asking people, use this gesture if someone says something like this, or I may call them to do this gesture so that I know they're with me, right? That way you are actively yourself, not just paying attention, but communicating your attention. And as a speaker, you've given people a way to demonstrate that they're engaged in the conversation, which inherently helps them to stay engaged in the conversation. So if you are leading a meeting, one of the big things I suggest is really coming up with some fun gesture, you know, whether you invent it as a group or you come up with something, what could be something you could do that is something you know you're gonna use in the meeting that everybody can demonstrate and say, okay, I'm still here, I'm still you know, involved in the meeting, here's the gesture to represent that. That's really clever. I think that's a good idea because it is hard as a listener sometimes, even if you're very interested in what the meeting is about, it's so tempting when you have your email inbox right behind your Zoom screen and you see things come in. And so obviously minimizing distractions as much as you can, I would think is helpful. Or like your phone, you know, your phone goes off and you're like, oh my gosh, I, there's a message. What is it? Oh, somebody liked my Instagram post. Sorry, I can't continue this conversation. I need to find out what's going on on Instagram. Um, yeah, totally. You know, minimizing, exactly. minimizing those distractions. Um, but I also tell people, I'm like, look, if you're in a meeting and you're going to be doing a lot of listening, then at some point throw into the chat and say, you know, I have to hop off video for a moment. I'll be back. Turn off your video. And maybe, you know, you're just taking a break. You're reclining for a second. You know, you know, it, it, a lot of the things that, that I talk about is really thinking about, like I said earlier, how, how are you going to be received? What is the experience of the other person? 
And I go through what I call my LVC essentials, um, engage, focus, narrate, think, which I say E, F, N, think, F and think, engage, focus, narrate, think, right? And this is all about how do I communicate my engagement? How do I make sure that the camera doesn't distort my communication cues? You know, and so uh, thinking about the nature of how I want you to experience our interaction, I got to eliminate some of these distractions, right? So that I can stay present with you. I have to communicate my attention. I can't just pay attention, you know? But then there's also the thing where like, you, you know, you're having uh, a, thanks, a virtual Thanksgiving dinner, which I think most of us probably did, you know, uh, in last year. Um, and one of the suggestions I have was, look, if you're sitting there and your crazy uncle who is on the opposite end of the ideological spectrum starts to pick a fight with you virtually, you know, you just freeze, just don't move. And eventually they'll think that the internet froze and they may end the call to try and reboot it. Right. And so you're out of it. So there are sort of strategies you can use that you can like, I, what can we, I, what, how about, Oh, I'm sorry, you're breaking up. We'll have to end and come back later. You know, click, click, leave and out, you know? So there's lots of fun things we can do with it as well, but it's always about making sure we communicate that we're paying attention and not just paying attention. Yeah, ways to avoid confrontation like never before. Right, exactly. <laughs> can you tell us a little bit more about the virtual handshake that you mentioned earlier? You threw out that term and I've just been curious what that means. Sure. You know, I heard this term myself. It sort of came into my vernacular through something else and then it disappeared and nobody, I haven't heard it or seen it again. So it's like, well, I, we got to hold on to this. You know, you think about a handshake, you meet someone for the first time, you shake their hand, you're assessing the strength of their handshake, you're looking into their eyes, you're making that first bit of a relationship, you know, blossom in this moment as you look into each other's eyes and how long are we going to hold hands? We can't do that through the screen. So what constitutes that moment of first impression? And I consider it to be your frame, that the frame and how you set up your background is your virtual handshake, right? When I first popped on the screen and we first met each other, no doubt you guys checked out what I've got around me and started to make, oh, this guy likes this and he's about this and it looks clean. So he's wearing a decent sweater, a nice shirt. So, you know, there's all these things we start to make decisions about when it comes to looking at our frame. And so I consider the frame to be our virtual handshake. And so the thought that I, that I put forth in, this, in, in my trainings is, what do you want people to think about you? What kind of experience do you want someone to have when they first see your frame? And to answer those questions and then to consider crafting your frame to affect that experience in the other person. And to do that, I've developed what I call the PALS method. And this came out of um, me trying to figure out in, in my old office, you know, where I used to live in Southern California, trying to figure out my background. I, I used to have my camera turned to all different areas of my space, different walls, different uh, lighting uh, areas, you know, putting the window in different places, trying to figure out where to put myself so that I could get the best look. And it was abysmal, always terrible. I mean, I've got pictures. I look like I'm in some nightclub with like red light, green light. You know, there's a shadow. I'm look like I'm about to get down to like some Daft Punk or something in these shots, right? Um, and 
I was setting up to record a little video and happened to catch a corner of my room by accident and I fell in love with the view. And I was like, that's, that's what I want people to see. And so I went through these trial and errors to create you know, this background and I distilled those trial and errors into this method called the PALS method. And PALS stands for perspective, angle, lighting, and story. Right. Now, there, you know, there are lots of, you know, um, other kinds of things. One of the things I've heard is a flab. Have you guys heard flab? Framing, lighting, angle, and background is another way, right? But I'm thinking onomatopoeically, I don't really want to engage in a process called flab. So this is pals, right? We want to make a connection. Here's our virtual handshake. Um, so, you know, you walk through that process, creating perspective, right? Using the corner of your room as your background instead of a flat wall to create depth in your space, right? Setting up your camera angle so that it's at eye level, it's the right distance from you, it encapsulates the frame you're looking for. Setting up your lighting so that you're not in front of a window and look like you're in witness protection or shadowed out or anything. And then most importantly, your story, right? I've got all these little trinkets and things. And, you know, you mentioned the you've totally got this um, book plaque up there. Um, but I also have a, my Lego rocket. I've got my Star Trek ugly doll over here. Oh, this I just knocked over is a slide rule, right? I love this thing. So, you know, all these little things that I can craft and put into my environment that communicate sort of who I am and, and what's important to me. And that establishes my virtual handshake. Uh, and I think it's I think it's an important thing. And now that we're going into this hybrid right situation where, you know, you're popping into a meeting and there might be people in the room and you're on video. Well, what do you want those people in the boardroom to think of you and make sure that you're crafting your frame and your handshake appropriately? So you're not zooming in from your bedroom, you know, having a bowl of cereal in your pajama kind of thing. I don't think the board members are going to like that too much. People must think I am the most boring individual because I used to, I right now, I have a flat white blank wall behind me. I did have some art before that my artist friend had lent me, but he needed it for a show and I just haven't put up more art. So I just have a boring blank wall, which I suppose <laughs> is safe, but I really like what you're saying because it is more interesting and engaging and we feel, we know a person better when we see yeah. a little bit about them. Yeah. And to think about, you know, the, the frame itself on your screen is two dimensional. It's got width and it's got height. Right. So if we if we put ourselves mainly in front of some flat space, then that flatness is sort of enhanced in our image. And it could be simple as just tweaking the angle of your screen, like just a little bit to the left or right. And you've got a piece of artwork or a bookshelf or something. And so you create just that sense of perspective, you know, those vanishing lines. And suddenly the space has depth. It's not like you have to reinvent the entire space. It could be just, I'm going to tweak it like an inch to one side. And suddenly now I've got this sort of angle down the wall or even just texture, a plant, you know, maybe some blinds or something, you know, a little bookshelf, something to just, you know, sort of, suggest that depth in the space helps people feel like, oh, there's, there's this other world over there. Now, Trisha, you look great in this space. Don't, you don't get me wrong. You know, don't worry about it. You know, um, uh, you also have, it looks like you've got a really nice chair that you're in that looks really comfortable. Um, Quite a comfortable chair. Yeah. But you know, those kinds of things to enhance the experience of the other person while they're interaction with you, right? Communication is compassion and action. Compassion being considering the other person's experience and putting yourself in their shoes. So what do I do to affect that experience?
I really like that tip of the corner. I've seen in meetings with people like them being in a corner and I never could place on place my finger on why it looked better. And mm-hmm. now I get it. Like it looks very nice as I just <laughs> sitting in a white wall. I am like avoiding this stream of sunlight aggressively. I'm like leaning <laughs> off to the side of mine. <laughs> we're all thinking a lot about ourselves and what we're communicating in this meeting, which is good. I think that's well, important. Good. You know, and, and I, it's funny, you, you, you take some time, you go, oh, this doesn't work, you tweak it here, but, you know, um, it, it really comes down to that whole concept, right? You know, this is not a face-to-face interaction, bedrock principle number one, right? Bedrock principle number two, everything you do is 100% about the other person, right? So everything I'm doing over here is about thinking about the other person's experience on the other side, and so what am I going to do? Communication is compassion and action. So, you know, you've got this sliver of sunlight coming down over your face. It adds a little bit. It's a little fun and stuff, but it can be distracting for you, right? So if I'm distracted and I don't feel comfortable, then I'm not able to engage and offer you the experience. So there's also this part of like, I got to make sure I feel comfortable and confident in this space. I got to make sure that I'm making the tweaks I need to make so that when I sit down, I'm proud of what people see. I'm excited to be here. You know, and it's always, it's always a trial and error. It's always experimenting. It's always that little bit of fun. I think that's so important how you touched on, yes, it is 100% trying to make the other person feel comfortable, but that also starts with you as well because you have to feel comfortable in order to make the other people feel comfortable because it is important to communicate. We are an active member of the communication, but our comfortable like status and how confident we're feeling too does play a part in how others then Right. Yeah. And it's your brain, your bandwidth, right? If, 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 if a huge part of my bandwidth is consumed with the fact that I think I look terrible in this light and, oh my gosh, what do they think of what's behind me? And is it okay? And, you know, gosh, I feel like I'm too close or they're looking at my nose, you know, then you, you aren't able to offer that sort of focus to the other person. Right. Um, now the other side of that is, you know, sort of building awareness of the fact that we can build these killer virtual handshakes you know, because a lot of I think at this point, we're also sort of of this mind that it's like, we're virtual. So if you, I am looking at a laptop, and you're looking at my nose, it's okay, people forgive that, right? Or I popped in, and I look like a cat, and I'm trying to litigate in court, you know, the, you go, okay, this is funny, and we're, we're kind of accepting of it. But, you know, on some level, we got to sort of up our game, right? We got to take it to the next level and go, we are returning to an in-person hybrid environment. So how do we create that space at home? And, you know, one of the things I do try to move people toward is a real space. Use your real space. Virtual backgrounds are fun. You can craft all sorts of things. But with a virtual background, you know, people can tell. They're like, oh, I can see you're in front of that green screen. And that can get distracting. And then as you're saying something, your face disappears or your finger disappears, right? Um, And I believe that everybody's got a space at home that they can feel comfortable and confident in. And it just takes a little bit of experimenting and playing. And you're going to find that spot that, that you feel great, you know, jumping on a video call from. Love that. And I just, I wonder what staring at ourselves all day and thinking about how we look is doing to our psyches because we never had to do that before. If you're in no. person, you don't, you're not aware of your face. You might wonder, I wonder how I look right now, but you don't see it. So no. I yeah, we all realized. Started, we, sorry, go ahead. So we all realized we were desperate narcissists and like we're having a conversation, but all I'm doing is looking at myself. I also suggest a lot, use that hide self view feature in zoom and other platforms, right? Turn it off. 
um, so that you're focused on them. However, when your face isn't up there, we oftentimes forget that we're on video. So then we're in self-view and we end up, you know, you do a little, get, get that thing out of your nose or, you know, pick, pull your ear or recline or, you know, start looking bored. So if you're hiding yourself, you do click it back on every now and then just to check and make sure you're still in frame and you look presentable. But um, yeah, it, it's funny. We all went, oh, I had no idea. I love to look at myself so much. I'm stunning. Look at that guy sitting there. Oh my gosh, just gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. On the good days. And then the other <laughs> days where the lighting's not so great. You're like, oh my gosh, do I have to put people through this? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> You've made so many good points and I have so many thoughts that I would love to keep asking you questions about. But to start wrapping up here, if there was one tangible takeaway or an action step that you feel our listeners could put into practice to improve their communication, either in a virtual setting or in the real world, what would you recommend? Um, well, uh, I think the first is let, let's do, let's do two, right? Generally it's time to think about retraining. This is a medium, right? It is a new medium of communication and it will require a new communication skill set, right? This isn't face to face. So if we engage with it, as if we do a real face-to-face -face conversation, we're gonna be miscommunicating, misrepresenting ideas. We're not gonna be making as strong a connection as we can. So the first thing I want everybody just to consider and stick in the back of their brain is, this is a new medium, there are new skills, and I should retrain, right? So that I can leverage this device to create a competitive advantage and influence change across the world. And one of a couple of the ways that we can do that off the bat, we've already talked about a few of them, Look into the camera when you speak. As weird as that is going to feel, and it feels weird, look into the camera. That is the eye. That is the portal through which we can make our eye contact. Um, so use the camera. Then when the other person is speaking, if they're looking into the camera, then you get to look down at their face and listen to them and look at them. And we kind of do this eye, eye contact exchange. But if you notice that the other person is predominantly just looking at their screen and not looking at the camera, then consider looking into the camera while you're listening so that that person also feels like you're making eye contact while they're speaking. So that would be one of the big things is look into the camera. And the other thing we talked about is narrating. Narrate what you do, narrate your space. If you've got a beautiful window that you look out of while you're thinking, tell people that there's this window and I look out at this beautiful park and I see people walking their dogs and playing with their kids. So if I'm looking over this way, I'm not distracted. I'm just thinking about what you said and I love to look out the window. And nobody will have, nobody will uh, be, you know, wondering what you're doing if you narrate. So I think those are sort of the big things that I'd like to suggest is, is get ready to retrain, right? New skill sets. And then some of those skills focus on the camera when you're speaking and narrate what you do and narrate aspects of your space as you do it. Super, super helpful. I like want to go redesign my house and do all my setup differently, but <laughs> so, so appreciated and so needed right now. And, and like we talked about, it's going to be it's not going away. It's hybrid, if anything, right? So these are all really, really important skills. And Trish and I appreciate you coming on so, so much. Where can our listeners find you? And well, you can head, yeah, well, you know, first and foremost, head to my website, GarrettBlair.com. And that's Garrett with two R's and two T's. 
G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-L-A-I-R, GarrettBlair.com, and you can actually get a free copy of my LVC Essentials Cheat Sheet. This has my four essentials, engage, focus, narrate, and think. And you can tape that up next to your computer so that on your next video call, you can use these four skills and it'll immediately 10X your Zooming game. And then you can also navigate through my website to courses.garrettblair.com where you can get my mini product, The PALS Method, which is a short 30-minute tutorial, which will lead you through perspective, angle, lighting, and story so that you can craft your virtual handshake and have that killer frame. You can also check me out on LinkedIn, uh, search for Garrett Blair, the performance guy, and I'm on Instagram at at the Garrett Blair. Amazing. Thank you for offering all those resources. And we will definitely link all of that in our show notes. And we appreciate all the listeners who have tuned in today. So please reach out to us or to Garrett with your questions and thoughts. And thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This is a great chat. You guys are wonderful to talk to. Thanks for giving me the space in the moment. Thank you so much, Garrett. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you.